Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. On Sunday, January 2nd, I preached on Calibrate. Tonight, I would like to follow up and teach on the subject of calibrating your heart. Please be seated. Thank you for standing in worship and for the reading of the Scripture. If you can remember that far back to January 2nd, this year, I told a story at the beginning of my message that I told 10 years ago, after it had happened to me, of getting lost in the woods and my global positioning system, my GPS, had lost its calibration. I changed the batteries. I didn't realize you have to calibrate the compass again. Recalibrate, I guess, is not supposed to be a word, but... People say it all the time. I did not do that, so I was going in circles, literally. And you might remember that story. But I want to just come back to that so you get the context for what I want to teach tonight. When you calibrate, it means to set to a fixed standard. You cannot calibrate to yourself. You calibrate to a higher standard. When you calibrate an instrument like a GPS, you're adjusting the instrument, the instrument makes the changes to operate in a certain way, but you're measuring against a standard. In the case of a GPS, locking in on satellites and then calibrating the compass to that. Another word for calibrate could be to standardize. You're standardizing an instrument. So when something needs to be calibrated, you're assuming that there is a standard against which to measure. It's not arbitrary, it's not subjective, it is absolute, and it is objective. This is more true in walking with God than it is with a GPS or any other instrument that is calibrated against a standard. In that message, I talked about the impossibility of a person blindfolded to walk in a straight line, our brain makes all kind of little accidents and walk, typically walk in circles. Way back when I preached that in 2012, Brother Ben Phillips did an experiment with several family members and just kind of proved that this was really true. I think one family member tended to walk straighter than everybody else, but that's just kind of the way it works. In that message on Sunday, January 2nd, I talked about the importance of ancient landmarks that have been set as boundaries for property then and the application of the boundaries of the Word of God that line out what is acceptable and what is unacceptable to the Lord. A verse that every time I read it, it almost just really moves me when Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. I cannot calibrate to myself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And then he said, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, 
lest thou bring me to nothing. So we get this idea that we know we need to calibrate our heart to the you know, infallibility of the word of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ, and the, the reality of eternity. That's what I preached about uh, the other day. But I want to talk about calibrating your heart toward a walk with God and becoming more like Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Jerry preached this past Sunday on a, a living hope that we look ahead to the coming of the Lord by looking back to his death on the cross. So we have fixed points, his death in the past, his coming in the future, and it helps us have perspective on his death for us and his coming for us, and we look back to his death to remind us that he's coming again. It is a way to calibrate our lives toward the Lord. Amen. When I say calibrating your heart, I'm really talking about your entire being. If you try to break down theological definitions of the heart, the soul, the spirit, you kind of come up with different answers. What does God really mean in the context of a particular scripture? But by heart, I'm referring to your life, but perhaps your mind, will, and your emotions, the part that you have something to do with. Not the Holy Ghost that God gave you, not the grace of God that He works in you, but the choice we all have to seek and to set our lives on the things that are above. Amen. So your heart can be directed. You have a choice. I want you to think carefully about this. That you may have someone that you consider the most spiritual person you know. And then you may have someone that you think is the most wicked, ungodly, or carnal person you know. And you may look at the spiritual person and the carnal person and wonder, you know, were they born that way? Were they born with the spiritual inclination? Were they born with the carnal inclination? And the truth is both were born with both. It is not how you were born, it's what you do with what God made when he made you. The difference between the most God-conscious spiritual person in the world and the vilest person in the world is not the raw materials of the heart, but how the heart has been set and what that person has sought in their life. That's what makes the difference. Now, I'm going to give you a little fine print because there is the factor of your nurturing. We have a nature... And all of us have a fallen nature. Foolishness is born in the, is, is bound in the heart of a child. And the way of man is not in himself. And we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So without the Lord, we're all hopelessly lost. We cannot find heaven on our own. There's none righteous, no, not one. But if you're brought up in the church, in a healthy environment, home and church, there really is a tremendous advantage. I get... Uh, angry, is it okay to get angry and sin not? At people who say, well, we're going to let our kids decide whether or not they're going to serve God. We'll let them choose the way they're going to go. That is foolish in and of itself. It's against the Bible. Train up a child in the way he should go, right? Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The words that I've spoken to you, let them be in your heart and Teach it to your children and talk about it in the morning, the afternoon. This is to be a lifestyle. So for those of us who were raised in the church, there really is an advantage. 
Last Thursday night in a funeral service, we honored my mom and the stories of my siblings and our grandchildren. You know, I was so blessed to be brought up in a blue-collar, middle-class, two-parent. Mom stayed home back then. Mom worked a little later from home. Parents that never missed church, never did not pay their tithes, never were not involved in church, didn't have a bad attitude about serving God. They didn't drive us toward the Lord. They led us to the Lord by their example. And I have to thank God for that because the person that grew up in church in a healthy home, in a healthy church, has a leg up, has an advantage. I want to prove this scripturally, you know, just for a moment. It's not the main theme of my message tonight. But in Romans, Paul asked the questions in chapter 3, what advantage is there of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? But he says, yes, there are great benefits. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Paul says he brings all the world guilty before God, you know, in Romans 1, 2, and 3. But he said these Jews had the advantage of having a Bible. They knew what God expected. Those Gentiles that lived in pagan cultures, they had no idea of what God expected except from their conscience and from nature. But there is an advantage to the Jews. So in passing tonight, I want to say that we can help direct the hearts of our children by bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. But you can come to God at any age. And even with the deficits of a pagan background, you can make up your mind to seek the Lord and set your affections on things that are above and you can become a spiritual person. Amen. Colossians 3.2 Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek and set are these two important words. If you're on a gun range, they might say, ready, set, aim, fire. Or they may say, ready, aim, fire. Back in the olden days of football, they might have said, down, set, hike. You have to be set before the snap. If you're running, they're probably going to say, on your mark, get set, go. This idea of set is very important to setting your heart. Stopping long enough to get your direction fixed, it's a biblical principle and it's also a practical thing in life. Before you go, you ought to get set. There's a lot of modern vernacular about this. The Bible said that Jesus went into a mountain, Matthew chapter 5, 1, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And when he was set, and it really may mean sat down, but when he was set, the disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying. This idea of calibrating your heart, of setting or determining the course that your life will take by setting your heart on the things of God is throughout the Bible. Anyone that has a concordance can look it up and the word set occurs 695 times in 664 verses and Tonight we only have time to go through 587 of those examples of the word set in the Bible. Aren't you glad about that? The word set 
and heart occur together 50 times in the Bible. So I want to give you just a few examples, positive and negative, about setting your heart. In 1 Chronicles, David said to the princes of Israel, 1 Chronicles twenty-two nineteen. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. He gave them a commandment of something that was possible. And the reason I'm saying this tonight, the entire message, is to encourage you that regardless of how you would appraise your spirituality today, it can change. It can get better. In 2022, you can grow in God. If you're an old dog, as they say, you can learn new tricks. Our outer nature perishes, but our inward is renewed day by day. Amen. So there is a great possibility of change if you understand. He tells them to seek the Lord. I'll move on past that verse for my media folks who are waiting for me to finish it. Psalm 62.10 Trust not in oppression. Become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. If God blesses you and, and you get money, don't let that be the aim of your life. I love what the New Living Translation says about that verse, the last phrase, and if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Don't set your heart. Don't make your life about your job, about things of this earth, that's what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians. In Psalm 78, the Bible talks about the stubborn people of Israel who did not set their heart aright. Their spirit was not steadfast with God. Ecclesiastes 8.11. This is an interesting verse because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. This is a verse that makes a case for swift judgment for sin and lawbreakers. And when justice is deferred, people just think that they're always going to get by. Now, the dangerous part about that is God's not willing that any should perish, but He's long-suffering. So people who live in sin and they look like they're prospering in the world, think that either God has looked the other way, or He approves or accepts their sinful behavior, but judgment is coming in their life. Now that's an interesting verse about that. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel set his heart to seek the Lord. And you may remember this, and I include this passage, because this is a week of prayer and fasting. Quite a number of people in our church Start a year with a 21-day Daniel fast. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel set his heart to seek the Lord. And he chastened himself before the Lord. He did this more than once. And he prayed a prayer and didn't get an answer. And he wondered why all these days went by. 21 days of not a word from God. And later the Lord tells him that there was a war going on in the heavens, that there is a spiritual opposition against an answer to a prayer. But Daniel didn't give up after day five. He continued in his commitment, and God answered him in spite of the spiritual 
opposition to his prayer. So I want to throw this in the mix that you set your heart to seek the Lord. And even when it doesn't seem to pay off in the short term, you just keep on seeking the Lord because God will answer and God will reward them that diligently seek Him. In Hosea, the Lord said, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. They've rejected knowledge and the Lord will reject them. He said they've forgotten my law. They've increased in their sin. They eat up the sin of my people and, the, and they set their heart on their iniquity. So I just, I'm giving you some examples about people in the Bible made up their mind for good or bad to set their heart and determine the course of their life. Amen. Your heart can be directed. It can be set. And with that understanding, I want to focus on Colossians chapter 3. Now, historians say that Colossae, the city, was a somewhat prosperous city. The church was filled with good people who loved the Lord and accepted the gospel probably through the preaching of Barnabas and Saul, who went throughout the land of Phrygia or Phrygia to the principal cities and towns. And you know that Paul at least visited there and went all over this area revisiting the churches later. The beginning of this letter written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, to the church at Colossae, the book of Colossians, he establishes to them that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. And by him, all things are created that are in heaven, that are in earth, whether they are visible or invisible, whether they are thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and he is before all things and by him do all things consist. Paul is making the case that Jesus Christ deserves your whole life. He says in verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church which is the first which is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in all things he might have preeminence or first place first place in order first place in dignity that in your life he should be the lord of every facet of your life and the old song said if he's not lord of everything then he's not lord at all for it pleased the father that in him should all the fullness dwell. Now in chapter 3, Paul begins a practical section of the book of Colossians to teach on Christian living. And he starts with this verse, Colossians 3.1, If or since you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, I've heard people say, when a person receives a gift of the Holy Ghost, well, they sure really got a good dose of the Holy Ghost. They got a good case of it. They spoke in tongues so long and might have been slain in the Spirit or whatever. But there's really not a good dose or a bad dose or a good Holy Ghost, to my knowledge, or a bad Holy Ghost. It's kind of like Dr. Sidney Post said one time and 
teaching in Bible college. And they say, well, that person has the Holy Ghost, but the Holy Ghost doesn't have them. And the problem is not with what God did for them. It's what they did after God filled them with the Holy Ghost. So Paul says to the Colossians, if or since you're risen with Christ, you died in repentance, you're buried in baptism, you were risen when you received the gift of the Holy Ghost, since that happened to you, now you have a responsibility. Now you have a choice. And the call, the challenge is to seek those things. If we could display this verse again, to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God or in the position of the power of God. Not an inferior place, but in the very power of God. It's a figurative expression. It's not a physical location. The right hand of God. Now, it sounds to me from Colossians 3.1 that there are some people who seek those things which are above after having been saved, and there are other people who don't do that. So here in January, it is my mission to encourage you to make up your mind, and I want to make up my mind, to seek those things which are above. If you're risen with Christ, you should seek them. Verse 2, a similar word. In the Greek, set your affection is one word. Set your affection, it means to think on things above, not on things on the earth. Now I know you need to make a living and you need to maintain your dwelling and take care of your family and there are always balancing scripture. Some people get lopsided. They only see one thing and they neglect the other. I was just listening to my Bible, uh, I guess yesterday when Paul said, if you don't, you know, if you're worse than an infidel if you don't take care of your family, right? So we know that's a biblical principle as well. Amen. Colossians 3, 2, to set. That's the operative word here. It means to think on. That you should not only seek heaven, but you should think heaven and keep on thinking about it. Recently I said, in preaching, maybe on the 2nd of January, that you've heard people say, well, they're so heavenly minded, they have no earthly good, which is really a, a fallacy. You shouldn't even say that. You should just say they're a weirdo. <laughs> I know it's kind of a statement of sarcasm. They're so heavenly minded, they have no earthly good. I know there was an old song that we used to sing, and I liked it, leaving on my mind. The house is falling down, the roof's leaking, but all, lately all I've got is leaving on my mind. So I'll, you know, this is not what the song says, but the implication, I'll neglect my family, be a slacker on my job, but boy, I just want to go to heaven. Well, what the Bible teaches is this, this and that. You want to go to heaven, and the best way to live your best life on this earth is to set your affection on things above, to seek the things that are above. It will change the way you live your life here. You'll live by heaven's values here and now, looking for the hereafter. Amen. Love heaven. Study the things of heaven. Let your heart be caught up 
with one day that you're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. You're converted. You have a changed nature. Now feed that nature on the things that will help that nature grow to be more like Jesus Christ. That's why he saved you. That, but here's kind of the underlying theme I think you get. That it is not an automatic. It is not a given. That just because you got a good dose, saying that facetiously, of the Holy Ghost doesn't mean that you don't need to pray because you spoke in tongues longer when you received the Holy Ghost than someone else did. Not true, right? Every person has to set their affection on things above. And then Paul gives a little more insight in verse 3. For you are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now he's going to elaborate on this. And I don't plan to get to that tonight. He's going to elaborate on this idea of what it means to mortify the deeds of the body. <clears throat> but he wants you to understand that you need to seek heaven because you're dead to the flesh. You're dead to hell. You're dead to your old nature. You're dead to being bound to this earth. And you're to seek the world to come more than the world that is here. Amen. This is not part of my notes, but in 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So he wants us to understand you have a choice to be spiritual and it starts today. Now, I know for you it started yesterday and the day before and maybe 40 or 50 or 60 years ago. But the, the pursuit of becoming like Jesus Christ is a lifelong pursuit. And on Sunday, Lord willing, if we don't get snowed out, I want to preach about spiritual renewal. And I plan to preach on it whether we're all stuck at home in a blizzard of a few snowflakes or gathered together. And we'll let you know, by the way. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now back in Colossians 2.12, Paul said we are buried with him in baptism. Or it also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Raised Jesus from the dead, raises you from your old dead life. But generally, you don't bury someone until they're dead. I would think that through the history of the church, even this church, that probably we have baptized some people who were not dead. And what I mean by that, they had really not thoroughly repented. You know, if you ever read the story about the unbaptized arm, they were warriors and they would raise their sword above the water and they would baptize everything but their sword, their arm and their sword so they could still fight a holy war. You can't have an unbaptized arm or tongue or grudge or secret sin. We only, in theory, in theory, we only bury spiritually dead people. So Paul said, if you're buried with Christ, but I want to back up because Paul said, 
you are dead with him. Amen? We died to sin just as he died to life so he could be risen from the dead. You're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now I'll get to the rest of this, this next verse, but I want to make a point that Paul is making here. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In the world, people do not see Jesus Christ as we see him. They see him as some ancient man. If they believe in a historical Jesus who lived and died, the rumor is he resurrected, but we know that's impossible. That's the secular mind speaking. Well, he was dead and buried, and that was the end of him. That's what they would think. But we understand that he was raised from the dead by the power of God, amen? And when we died to our old self and were buried with him, we were raised with him. But we are dead and our life is hid with Christ and God. We are like him. So Paul is saying, don't expect people to think you're the greatest thing that ever lived. They may think that you're foolish. Paul said they look at you as the off-scouring of the earth. You, they think you're the weird one because you serve Jesus Christ, but you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, he's going to give us an amazing hope in verse 4. When Christ, this phrase is amazing, who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. He's coming with his saints. One of these days, not only will he be manifest for who he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, but the people who lived this life and had sought those things that are above and set their heart on heaven, they will appear with him in glory. And all the world will know that we were the ones who had life figured out because we did not live for here and now, but we live for the hereafter. We set our affection on things that are above. We also will appear with him in glory. This is our motivation. Amen. Now we're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. But one of these days when he appears, we also will, you know, the manifestation of the sons of God. The Bible said, Paul, in Romans 8, that the whole creation groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's who we are, the children of God. And there's this groaning in this world, in nature, in creation. I envision it in the natural sense of the grinding, the tectonic plates on earth is grinding, and earth is angry earth, you know. I'm just using that as an example. That there is something in the spirit, right, that is groaning, waiting for the age to come. And when that age comes, amen, Every trial, every test, every denial of sin, everything you gave up to get him will be worth everything. It will make perfect sense in that day when Christ, who is our life, appears. Amen. Praise God. So today, the emphasis of my message is to encourage you early in this year to seek those things that are above and to set your affection 
on things that are above. He uses above in both verses, verses 1 and 2. There's a heavenly calling and a heavenly pursuit. And he's calling the Colossian church and this church to seek those things that are above, not those things that are on the earth. And by implication, it takes effort. That's why we set a time to pray and we set a time to fast. Because you know if you don't set it, it will always be tomorrow or later. And if you don't seek those things that are above, if you don't put forth the effort, so, so I'm just going to stop and say this again. There are some people that believe God does it all. All you do is just kind of drift along. He saves you. He helps you become like him. And, and you don't have anything to do with it. Now, I know that it is God that is working in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I know he's able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I know that you can do nothing without him, and I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I get grace, right? If you'll think back to last year, I also understand grit. I also understand Paul saying, I labored more abundantly than they all. And the people who are overcomers, the people who stay the course, the people who do not fall by the wayside, amen, are people who have made up their mind that they're going after Jesus Christ, that like Paul, they're going to pursue him, they're going to stretch and lean into it, they're going after him. They press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And it's interesting about spiritual things that the more you do spiritual things, the more you desire them. The appetite is created whether it is for sin or unrighteousness. That's why I said at the beginning, the most unspiritual, most ungodly person in the world doesn't have to be that way. I understand the fallen nature and sin and the sin that has power over us that Paul talks about in Romans 7. But when we are saved by the power of God, we can choose to be like Jesus Christ and we can be changed. I'll talk about this Sunday, Lord willing, metamorpho, this metamorphosis to change in a spiritual fashion from glory to glory, Paul says. A progressive change that takes place in our life to become more like Jesus Christ. It's the investment of your time, your talent, and your treasure. One of my life verses is Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you want to love God more, just put more treasure in your relationship with God. The people who love this church the most are not the people who have been given the most. It's the people who have given the most. It's not because of what people have received. It's because of what they've given. Where your treasure is. That's why there are people who are part of this church for many, many years and some not so long who would shed their blood for this church and the church because they're vested. They're sold out. They've got skin in this game. They've got blood, sweat, and tears in the church. Where your treasure is, 
There will your heart be also. Your heart will always follow your treasure. So you may not feel much. I remember as a teenager fasting. And I think it was going on a three-day fast. And I went to my pastor and I said, Brother Rooks, I am fasting and I don't feel anything. He said, you know, Brother Daryl, I don't feel anything when I fast either. I was so disappointed. I expected my pastor to tell me, oh, something's wrong with you, son. When I fast, there are angels and visions always happen to me. It's like you are dead (laughs) and your life is hid with Christ in God. But when you invest yourself, when you set your affections, when you seek those things that are above, you direct your treasure and your heart obediently follows behind. So set your affections, as I said, by setting your alarm clock, a reminder. It might help you to get an accountability partner. If you're married, that might be your spouse or it could be a close friend, a a son or a daughter, a father or a mother, someone that you trust. When I was in high school, my best friend and I, Bruce Starling, we decided we were going to fast a day a week and we held each other accountable to fasting a day a week. And he would always have people offer him every kind of food imaginable in high school at a big public high school the day that we were fasting. It just seemed to be a rule of thumb, right? Amen. But be accountable. Maybe it's for you writing it on a real piece of paper. You know, we used all the devices and they're great, but sometimes they're turned off. But maybe by your mirror that when you get up in the morning, that's what you see. What are your spiritual goals for 2022? Put them in front of you. Do you remember what James wrote about? Be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And he said a person that is not a doer of the word, it's like a person looking in the mirror. So there's the mirror. And they look in the mirror and they go, oh, wow. I look, I'm, I look a mess. All my hairs are out of place. You can always tell that with me, right? And then James said, he, he goes his way. He forgot to make changes. He looked in the perfect law of liberty and he saw what a mess he or she was. And then he went away, closed his Bible and walked away and never made any changes. He's a forgetful hearer. But a doer of the work, James said, is someone who sees the need for change, makes a decision to change, changes. And James said he is blessed in what he does. Not blessed because he saw the need for change. Not blessed because he made a decision to change. But he's blessed because he followed through. And he actually was not a forgetful hearer of the word, but he was a doer of the word. If you don't mind, please stand right now. I recognize that New Year's resolutions are well intended, but too often soon forgotten. There's all kinds of statistics. I didn't chase them down today. You know, how many days people maintain gym memberships or disciplines or whatever it is they're trying to do. One of the things that I've tried to tell myself over and over and say here over and over through the years is to never give up starting over. I said it recently. His mercies are new every morning. He gives us a new year even in the Bible. There's a new moon at the beginning of a month. 
there's a first day of the week. Isn't that crazy that God gave us so many chances to say, oh, today's the first day of the rest of my life. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I want to be. But I am seeking and I am thinking, I'm setting my affections. And I may not change 100%, but man, if I can just change 10, if I can grow incrementally day by day, and by the way, that's what sanctification means. It's the process of actually becoming holy. You were justified, one day you'll be glorified, and everything from the start to the finish is a process. It's called discipleship. It's called sanctification. But it is not without effort. And the effort is what determines the spiritual growth that you and I will make in the coming year. Next week, Lord willing, I'll drill down into this passage where Paul tells us there's some things you need to put off, some things you need to put on if you're going to seek heavenly things and obtain them then there are some changes that have to take place in your life. You can read ahead if you want in Colossians 3. If you're able and you have a few moments, I'd like to invite you to come to the altar if you feel comfortable doing that. If you need to go, we understand that as well. But I'd like for us to pray and commit ourselves to the Lord. Make some decisions. Maybe you need to dig out something to write on and write down some simple, clear goals put them in a conspicuous spot. Amen. Because this year, by the grace of God, we're going to seek those things that are above. And we're going to set our affections on things that are above and not on things of the earth.